We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This past week, we learned that Cook County Commissioner Jesus Chuy Garcia will not run for Chicago mayor. It shows you what kind of year we're having when an announcement that someone isn't a candidate makes headlines. But with other big names getting into the race, you might think some lesser-known candidates might be scared off. You might also be wrong. Just about all of the original field of contenders for Chicago mayor are still in it, and this week we spend some time with mayoral hopeful Neil Salas Griffin. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest is a high-tech entrepreneur from the south side of Chicago who is not a politician. What uh, Neil Salas Griffin has done is help start a healthcare media business at age 18, open a chain of barber shops at 19, work in the venture capital world by 22, and start a computer coding boot camp by 23. His starter league was the first tenant at 1871, the powerhouse tech hub here in Chicago. Now he teaches at Northwestern and the University of Chicago, and he is CEO of Code Now. It's a national not-for-profit that teaches low-income high school students how to code. You might wonder why he would want to waste all of that talent on politics. Well, <laughs> we are going to ask him. Neil Salas Griffin, welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk about that first. Sure. Because what drives you to want to take on the challenges of running uh, this city uh, when you are helping so many people now? I didn't start with wanting to run for mayor. I started with wanting to help more people in Chicago because I love my city. And the time that I took to really dial into the details and figure out what was happening, I ran out of alternatives. I realized I had to step up. The city deserves new leadership. It deserves greater transparency, uh, more innovation and thoughtfulness, and people with integrity who aren't interested in being career politicians that are more interested in making progress and moving on and setting someone else up for success. So that's why I'm running. Well, by definition, the city is going to get new leadership. Um, because Mayor Emanuel isn't running. True. Uh, but you are not a politician. How are you dealing with the mechanics of running a campaign, the signatures, the fundraising? I haven't done any of the things that you mentioned or you know, a lot of other things that I'm involved in now or have accomplished by assuming that I needed to you know, have permission to do it you know, by some you know, entrenched force or power or people who can tell me whether I'm qualified or not. So I always end up stepping into situations where there's a lot to figure out and learn because in doing so, uh, it forces creativity, it forces disruption, it forces innovation. And we're inventing new systems and processes for how to run for office because a lot of the norms and traditions are inaccessible to people who I think would be great public servants. Except that it seems some of the rules uh, for running are almost designed to keep people who aren't politicians from doing it well. I mean, election lawyers, are, it's almost a growth industry here in Chicago. Uh, the, the signature gathering process and the, the, the challenging process, all of that is, is almost something that has to be handled by professionals. But 
you're not. Hey, well, professional can be, I guess, assessed in a number of ways. And what I would say is, you know, first, my, you know, my first hire was an election lawyer, so I'm right there with you on that front. <laughs> so you're going to have to, you know, eat your vegetables and take care of, you know, you know, cross your T's and dot your I's. But that being said, there is so much that I've learned in the past year in running for mayor in this process where I've realized there is an immense opportunity to automate and really reform these processes for running for office so that more people can do it. Um, I agree with you in that it is largely uh, skewed towards traditional politicians and people who are you know, among the field now, but I want to change that. And that's why I'm running and I'm putting everything I have on the line to create that opportunity. It's the same thing I did for software development and coding. I saw an industry that was amazing in many respects and people were inventing technologies that ended up making folks millionaires and billionaires and changing the world. But there were not a lot of people who looked differently running those companies, writing that code, building that software, inventing those new technologies. And I wanted to change that. So it took a risk and a leap in order for that change to happen, just like this will be the same thing. And I would think that a lot of people who look at the tech, uh, the tech world would have seen something like coding as one of those unattainable things where you had to have a base of knowledge that a lot of, frankly, a lot of low-income people wouldn't get. What did you see in that that made you go forward with, uh, with the boot camp? I started with myself. So I never extended or make an assumption about something. I try to get primary insight. So when I quit my job in venture capital early on, right out of school, I did it because I wanted to test whether I could teach myself and whether I could learn these skills having no formal or traditional training. And I holed up in my apartment in Hyde Park for over a year uh, with a friend of mine. And he and I emerged from that apartment having built you know, a multitude of you know, software applications and with the confidence that we can unlock and enable a lot of other people to do the same thing. So we had did something that a lot of people told us wasn't possible. And uh, not only did we invent that you know, new system, but we inspired so many other people to do the same thing in their cities and even in this town. So the model that we came up with, it's less about my own school being successful and it's more about the fact that so many people learned from us as a blueprint and we were able to make this huge wave of an impact around computer science for all education in Chicago and beyond. Uh I don't want to spend all of the time on the mechanics of of campaigns, but let us talk about how the landscape changed mm-hmm. and 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 explain why you stay in a race where the vote of the people uh, who you know may let's face it, people who weren't satisfied with Rahm Emanuel um, now that vote is going to be split among a field of candidates that includes some familiar names to them, like County Board President Tony Preckwinkle, like Bill Daly, like Paul Vallis and Lori Lightfoot. Why didn't that chase you out of this? I wasn't running against Rahm Emanuel. I was running for Chicago, for a better Chicago. And there may be other candidates that spend a lot of their time, you know, focusing on on the mayor and, and getting him out. Um, my emphasis has always been on the solutions and what I can do to make things better. And I want to keep that going. Now, that being said, there were just over 500,000 people who voted 
for mayor in 2015. There are over a million people in Chicago who are registered and old enough to vote who did not. I'd like to change that. Some people think it's an unsolvable problem. I'm excited by unsolvable problems because I like it to, you know, force me to invent the future. That's what I see us having an opportunity to do right now. Now, we can't go very far into this discussion without talking about April. Oh, uh, yeah, the launch event. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I went ahead and aired it out on the podcast yes. and got that out the way. That was wild. Yeah, And, and for, for people who don't know what we're talking about, when you launched your campaign, it was literally a false start. Oh, you yeah. Were kind of, you lost your place. You were nervous. Oh, for sure. Uh, it, it was so much, it was so interesting. I'm so grateful for that experience because it's humbling, one, and it shows realness in a way that uh, is rare among people in the arena, in politics, right? We were very polished and practiced and measured, and there were so many factors leading up to that moment, but I just have to say, um, I had a student, so you know I'm a professor at Northwestern University, mm-hmm. adjunct professor, and uh, I teach this engineering entrepreneurship course, and one of my former students was there, you know, at this event, as I'm like fumbling through the speech, and I've given, you know, hundreds of lectures, and I've been up in front of people all the time, and I've been super confident and keynoted events with thousands of people at them and I've done all these things but yet in that moment something shifted right and I wasn't my full self and my ability to articulate my ideas clearly and uh, she came up to me afterwards and she said you know I know this must be tough for you but I just want to say how grateful I am uh, because I never thought that someone who I looked up to I never thought I could be like I could relate to and she found a way to relate to me in that moment and to lift me up and a lot of people did. So that was that was really, really amazing. So from that experience, a lot of people stepped up to help out. And uh, I learned so much from it. And we're even more confident now because of it. Tell me what you have learned uh, since then or because of that yeah. that have helped you develop the kind of skills that would show people. Because let's face it, a lot of people are going to look at that mm. and say, this is a high-pressure job. <laughs> How's he going to handle it? Sure. <laughs> and and th- th- that will tell people... Yes, I, 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 I can handle that pressure. Definitely. And I think that it's less about a moment and an instance and 85 minutes, and it's more about a lifetime of service and dedication and consistent contribution to Chicago and making it better. And that's what I've been doing. So look at my work, look at my actions, look at the organizations that I, I, I run, the nonprofit boards that I serve on, the classes that I teach, the kids that I help. I'm here and I'm real. And everybody has a false start. Everybody makes a mistake. Everybody slips up every now and then, and that's okay. So long as your intentions are good and you're willing to get yourself back up. I think a lot of people appreciated it. Mm. So that was one piece, and I guess the, the, to answer your question about what I learned, I learned that I can't you know, play the game of Chicago politics in the same way that it's always been played. And I think up till then I had been more – measured and considerate for taking advice from people who had a lot of experience in how Chicago currently works as it relates to campaigns. And if we're going to invent the future, then we can't be pulled back or bogged down by taking a traditional approach. And that was probably what confused things leading up to that moment. So after that, it really liberated me to be extremely creative and experimental for how we went about running the campaign. Um. I think one of the criticisms uh, then was that you didn't have very many specifics to outline about the things that you want to do. How are you addressing that now? 
So the specifics that I have are right now on our website, neilformair.com slash platform. And we're slowly but surely going to be rolling out more detailed analyses. And on top of that, we're building a tool to allow people to not only understand our positions and citations and substance and solutions, but compare other candidates as well. And there are tools out there right now that help people do this, like Ballot Ready and different technologies that are Chicago homegrown. Um, but my focus has always been on taking a very deliberate, measured, nuanced, and detailed approach to problem solving in Chicago. So understanding these issues is no small task. And I had an opportunity to surround myself with a lot of experts, a lot of really brilliant people who are interested in providing a lot of answers that are hard to get to on the surface. So I took the like a lot of time to, to break that down and understand that. And now I have a pretty clean set of uh, positions, but this is just the beginning. And at the highest level, I'll tell you the, the spoiler is follow the money. That's, that's where this whole conversation has to start. If we want to talk about our solutions to school, our solutions to violence, our solutions to housing, our economy, everything, all roads lead back to the vault that is, you know, City Hall right now. Mm-hmm. That's it. Well, and we will talk a little bit more about that in, in a moment. But um, since you bring up experts, who are the people that you will turn to for advice? Like who's going to be your, your kitchen cabinet, so to speak, uh, on things like pensions and union contracts, transport? You know, where are you going to be getting your advice? Well, where I've been getting my advice is from a variety of sources throughout the city. There are a lot of people who, up until recently, were probably hesitant to be named because they were either in service to or affiliated with the current mayor. And I guess there's a culture sometimes of fear associated with wanting to be affiliated with helping another candidate uh, understand the facts and the issues and what's happening at the at the ground level. But that being said, I think we have a big opportunity to really bring more people into the fold. I always approach my engagements with people who are experts not with the assumption or expectation that they endorse me or support me or are willing to be named, but are more focused on just providing as much um, evidence-based information as possible. So with that being said, a lot of the people who are supportive and involved in our campaign are going to be kind of um, revealed and brought in, and my kitchen cabinet is going to be comprised of experts in every aspect because no one mayor is going to know answers to everything. So surrounding myself with people who have those experiences is going to be critical. But that being said, crowded field of candidates, it's making it really difficult right now to have a whole you know list of people in a lineup saying any one person is the right person. Um, so it's going to require some new leadership and some new energy and some new perspectives, along with never forgetting our past and the expertise of a lot of the people who were you know, working on the solutions up till now. What percentage of your supporters would you, uh, would you say have stayed the course this far? Oh, I mean, it's been re- relatively unfaltering. Uh, naturally, when you have a pretty intense volunteer-based campaign, there's going to be people who come and go. Um, but for the most part, we've been pretty steady. Okay, Proud of that. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's Ad Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Neil Salas Griffin. He's a candidate for mayor of Chicago. Uh, let's talk about some of the issues, and uh, I don't want you to spoil all of your stuff, but hey. I want to talk about uh, some of the, at least the outlines of some of your plans. Let, let's let's talk about education first. Um, one of your goals is to ensure that there are quality schools in every neighborhood. That is 
obviously easier said than done. Do you how do you how do you plan on doing that? Do you continue with charter schools uh, that are run by private uh, entities, specialized schools? What what's your overall vision of getting neighborhood schools back on a solid footing? I'm a volunteer teacher at Diet High School for the Arts, just off of 51st and King Drive. I grew up just a few blocks down the street at 49th and Drexel. And as many people know, Diet High School was on the list of school closings. And there were some brave community members who went on a 34-day hunger strike to keep that school open and helped it reopen. That was one school out of nearly 50 that managed to corral its community to make a difference and to keep it going. I learned how to swim growing up at that school. I know that it was under-resourced and lacked the investment and the support it needed to be successful. We have to make sure that we're prioritizing and investing in neighborhood schools first. If we don't build up our neighborhood schools and make sure that they're set up to be successful, it's almost hard to justify or make the argument that alternative investments are mandated in order for Chicago to be a better city for our kids. So first things first, making sure that we take a much deeper and closer look at neighborhood school reform in Chicago and prioritize that as an investment. And again, this all goes back to talking about money Mm -hmm. and how we're allocating those resources. And our school funds that we'd have to lobby for at the state level the nearly $6 billion CPS budget and the fact that special education has been, you know, taken back, you know, the control of it has been taken back by the state because we have failed to properly manage it as a city speaks to our failure of leadership when it comes to our school system. So we need trustworthy leadership. We need people to feel like they have a greater say for who's running our schools. That's where the elected school board comes from, but with campaign limits because money's a problem in Chicago And then just the intense focus on making sure that every neighborhood has a school that you can walk your kid to. That's my focus. Why would an elected school board be an improvement? Why why not, as some people are suggesting, a kind of a blended thing where if the mayor has the responsibility for the maintenance of the schools, some mayoral appointees, and some elected people. I've studied the arguments for and against elected school boards, and I agree that there is a you know, high level of, of nuance and consideration to how to go about um, providing a system of selecting leadership for our public schools. That being said, there's a loss of trust in the community. We had a school leader who was convicted of a crime We had another school leader who had to step down because um, he lied and violated ethics code in running our city, um, public schools. We have to re-engage our community members and extend trust and give them greater say and control. There's something a little bit more unique and intangible about the mood and the culture of distrust right now in Chicago between a lot of neighborhoods and people in them and our city leadership. And we're not going to change that unless we smartly introduce a system that gives them greater democratic influence and control over who's running their schools and who's influencing their child's future. Have you uh, had any thoughts or reached any conclusions about how uh, Janice Jackson is doing as 
school CEO? Janice Jackson and I've had conversations before uh, my public decision to run for mayor, and I'm a fan of uh, a lot of the work that she's done. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud that we have somebody um, who came up through the system and who's deeply connected uh, at the ground level uh, in a position of leadership now. Um, that being said, I think there is still a lot of frustration in the community because no one person over a short period of time can solve all of the problems. And uh, I think that she's trying. I think that uh, her intentions are absolutely uh, pure and she means well. I think that in addition to her as leader, we're going to need um, community support even more so than we have. And that's not going to happen with her on her own. That's going to happen with, um, you know, greater mayoral leadership as well. Um, I want to turn to public safety. Uh, we are going to have to uh, speak around the elephant in the room uh, because uh, as we are recording this, it's happening. The, the jury is deliberating on the uh, Jason Van Dyke uh, murder trial on for the killing of Laquan McDonald. So we can't really talk about that. I mean, <laughs> we can talk about whatever you want. But, I'm willing to. But what we uh, can talk about that might not develop well <laughs> between now and when this program airs is the 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 overall issue. I mean, well, first off, let's. Your your father was a police officer for three decades. Yes. Um, do you have? Uh, feelings of support or doubt about this whole consent decree process that the city has gone through. Uh, Mayor Emanuel is, is, is leaving with something in place that is going to be looked over by the attorney general's office where there will also be new leadership. But what do you think of the document that they have produced and the court supervision that there will be? There's more that needs to be done with the consent decree for people to fully understand its implications. And I'm working to demystify a lot of that because it's a fairly dense read. And um, there's a lot of complexity to documents like this and what the implications are. And uh, I think one of the biggest challenges we have as a city is effectively communicating with community members about um, what things mean and when it comes to accountability. And, you know, I'm an adjunct uh, professor also at Northwestern's Law School. And some of my colleagues there I've had conversations with who were involved in the community proposal that led to some of the changes in the consent decree. And I would say that uh, while we are making progress and while it's, it's a win to even have this on the table, um, there's certainly a lot more accountability and scrutiny required um, that the community is going to have to lobby for and we're going to have to support them to enact. Um, Do you think the public hearings that are planned for this are going to be as beneficial as the the administration has has said they should be? I don't know. I would like that to be true. However, I'm going to assume that it's not enough. And I am actively working on scalable means to provide greater access to these conversations for people who don't necessarily have time um, to participate or attend these hearings, but still want to have their voices heard and still deserve um, our overt effort to inform them of what's going on and what this would mean for them. And um, right now, I think we're very limited in our capability and our thinking as far as how hard we try to involve all of Chicago in these decisions as they're happening. 
And, you know, there's a lot of folks who are struggling in different parts of the city that are concerned about crime and safety and issues with the police. But there's a disconnect between that concern and their awareness of what is actually happening on the ground with these issues in these conversations. So I am trying to be the bridge for a lot of that conversation. And we are like two years into uh, the efforts of the city itself and the police department itself to reform itself. Um, And we still don't have the civilian component of the civilian office of uh, police accountability. Uh, How troubling is that to you that we still don't have that civilian advisory group and and the city blames says well we can't get the community to agree this is all troubling and this is all why and i'm 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 running for mayor i i i got tired of waiting and and there's this stasis we're not moving fast enough on things and because of it people are struggling people are dying and people are moving away and i got fed up with that i decided i wasn't going to sit on the sidelines and wonder why anymore and jump right into the arena get some answers, move things forward, and get serious about being solution-oriented in, in leadership. So, yeah, you're, you're right. If things take longer than they should. Most people aren't aware of what's actually happening and why and why not. I'm getting to the bottom of it, and I'm going to bring everyone along on this journey with me. I want to get one, at least one more topic in, and that's jobs. Yeah. Because that's, as you say, it's, it's all about the money. Well, it's also all about the, what people are able to earn money. How do you get big companies to locate operations in struggling communities, which is merely one dimension of a, of a much larger problem? Well, they, so that one dimension is one piece I wanted to almost couch that with, which is net new jobs come from, you know, small businesses and entrepreneurs and, and startups. So my emphasis has always been on helping people fish rather than just giving them fish. And that's been my whole life's work is I help people start businesses and get skills that get them into jobs that are well-paying, often high technology, but very often just lifestyle changing for so many folks. Uh, The way that we encourage more businesses to insert themselves in communities that are struggling is to provide, uh, to make it a rational choice, to make it a business decision, to make it easy. You have to provide the right uh, level of incentives as well as the training in those communities so that the workforce and talent that's available and accessible is enticing. And right now we have failed to properly invest in uh, the educational and vocational resources to build up those communities in a way where they'd be in high demand. That's a failure of our education system. Mm -hmm. And I'm in a great position to change that because outside of the public sector in both private and nonprofit, I've been a champion and leader in Chicago for the past eight years. Um, We've got a little bit of time left, maybe a minute or so. Do you approve of the uh, the city colleges of Chicago's current configuration with different schools having uh, individual specialties? This is something that started under Richard Daly, but really came into its own under, under Rahm Emanuel. I wouldn't say I have approval of it. I do believe that there is a way to make the system work a lot better. Um, however, a an analysis of that system and how it's functioning right now and what it would need to become is something that I'm currently doing because I've done work with the city colleges. I've integrated my curriculum from my own coding boot camp into the city colleges in partnership with Rahm Emanuel and Chicago Public Schools. 
And that experience has informed my perspective in a way that gives me confidence that there needs to be an immense amount of reform and thoughtfulness for how the system actually works over time. So there's no hard answer there uh, yet. However, that is one thing that I have direct experience with that I'm very passionate about solving. But you're not, you're not talking about tearing it up. No, is, no, not tearing it up because I think that having a scope and a focus is a good thing. And having people who can uh, focus on a particular school for a particular trade is actually really um, clarifying for a lot of folks and what they aspire to do. It has a vocational uh, orientation. That being said, it's not good enough. And we're not training towards the future enough. And that's why my school was so successful. That's why all the, this whole movement of coding and software development worked because I was able to kind of run circles around a lot of these traditional institutions for how I delivered my education. That's going to be our final word. That is mayoral candidate Neil Salas Griffin. Thank you for spending Thank this you. time with this us. This was great. Uh, to our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our podcasts on Radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of Ad Issue. We'll focus on the governor's race next week, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.